Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I had no idea what I was going to say to her. And that's a very unusual position for me to be in, personally speaking. You see, I don't just like talking on Sundays. I like talking every day of the week. But on this particular day, I was speechless. I had no idea what I was going to say to her. As I, as I drove over to her home, I, I stopped and I even prayed. I even prayed like, God, let me know what I should say. I couldn't think of anything. It's January 5th, 2014, and I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. It is a cold and a biting cold day where the temperatures are hovering just around 25 degrees. It's one of those days where the clouds are just this gray blanket that look like they could drop inches of snow at any moment. But for now, it's still. It's really cold. It's, it's kind of dark. But you see, none of that really bothers me because I'm inside. And I'm getting to spend the day with one of my very best friends, having supper with him and his wife, and really just getting to hang out in their home for the evening. The night before, that friend and I, we got to stand up in, in the wedding of one of my very best friends together. My family was at the wedding. It was just a blast getting to celebrate together. And so no, that cold cutting January day, no, it, it didn't bother me at all because I was just enjoying being. Being in the presence of the people I love, the people who love me started to snow when my phone rang. It was my mom, but since I'm at dinner, I, I don't answer the phone and I, I hang up. But she calls right back. So this time I answer the phone. My mom asks where I'm at and if I'm all right, and I assure her um, I'm good, Every, everything's all right. And I'm curious about why she's asking these questions because I just saw her last night then the reason becomes clear. She tells me that her father, my grandfather, just suffered a sudden heart attack and died. She informs me that I'm the closest relative to my grandmother. I'm just a short drive away. Everyone else is, is hours away. And she asked me to go and be with my grandmother to be with her, to, to comfort her, to encourage her. I say, of course, I go, but I don't know what I'm going to say. As I'm driving over there, I haven't the words to express anything that I want to say to my grandmother. I mean, what could I say after my grandmother just lost her husband, my grandfather? What would you say? What would you say in a situation like that? Our big question this morning is one that we're going to take a look at throughout our sermon. It's, it's what do you say to death? What do you say when someone in your life experiences death? What, what do you say when that happens? 
Today, what we celebrate in church is a, is a Sunday called Saints Triumphant Sunday, where, where people who have lived a life of faith go to be with their God because they died. I want to talk about what, what do you say? What do you say to death? I'll tell you what I didn't say. What I didn't say are these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These are words that the apostle Paul is writing to a congregation in Corinth, a a congregation that was a Christian congregation in ancient Greece. And he writes them in a chapter called the Great Resurrection Chapter. And this is what he says to them. See if you can see why I, I didn't say these words to my grandmother. Paul said this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And you can see why I share these words with my Christian grandmother after her Christian husband who was a pastor who preached about Christ for 57 years of his life, died. I mean, Paul talks to this congregation and he lets them have it. Did you catch it? He says to them, okay, all right, you wanna think that, that Christ is not raised? Let's go with that. He said, then your faith, it is useless. It's worthless. Preaching, also useless. Christ, dead. You think after Paul paints this hypothetical, this imaginary place where where Christ is dead and he's not raised, he'd let up. He'd get off the gas pedals a little bit, but he doesn't. Did you catch that? He ratchets down again. He repeats it with different words. He says, if Christ is not raised, if Christ is dead and Christ is dead, then preaching, witnessing lies. It's false. Your faith is futile. And then he gets personal. He says, you're still dead in your sins. (laughs) You're living in spiritual deadness, anxiety as far as the eye can see, hatred that does not end, lust that you can't control, lies, hopeless. That's what the apostle Paul says. (laughs) If that were not enough, verse 18, he takes you to the, to the graveside of somebody that you love 
And he said, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have fallen asleep believing in Christ, they're lost. They're gone. This last week, as I, as I thought about our sermon message this morning, I thought a lot about my grandfather. I thought about how much that I have received from him and not just my DNA, who I am, his blood, but the example I've received from him. The example of what a man after God's own heart looks like. The example of a man of character. You know, I was supposed to have lunch with him the day after he died. He died on a Sunday. I was supposed to have lunch with my grandmother and my grandfather the next day. I have wondered, what if? What if we had gotten to have one more conversation, one more heart-to-heart? What if, what if we had gotten to spend the day, the afternoon together like we had planned? Death has a way of asking that question, doesn't it? What if? What if I spent more time with them? What if my loved ones spent more time with me? What if I had the courage during their life to express my feelings, my true feelings and appreciation for how I felt about them? What if, what if, what if, I made that relationship a priority. And those are just the relational what-ifs. There's spiritual what-ifs too. And it's for Christians and not Christians alike. We also ask the same questions, all of us. What if there is a heaven? What if there's a hell? What if there's not? What if the life I'm living, which I think makes me good with God doesn't actually make me right with him. What if I I meet my maker a lot sooner than I really think about? What if? See what Paul's getting at, don't you? He says, what if Christ is dead? What if your faith is useless? What if all this preaching is a bunch of lies? What if? He's pressing, 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 pushing the point, pushing the idea, the idea of the resurrection of Jesus. And he's doing it so you think about it. So you think about this idea and its implications for your life. It's not, it's not that uncommon. This happens in your homes too. The teenage daughter does something with her friends at school that she should not. She shouldn't do it. And she comes home and she's explaining what she did and why she did it to her mother. And the mother cuts her off and says this, what if, what if everyone jumped off the bridge? Would you? What the mom is doing is is taking the idea of going along with the crowd, doing what everybody is doing and pushing it, taking it to an extreme to make you wrestle with the idea of, of, peer pressure, and and going along with the crowd. That's what Paul's doing. He's asking the what ifs. 
is asking the questions about the resurrection of Jesus. So you wrestle with the implication of what Jesus' resurrection from death to life means for your life now. He's effective, isn't he? He's effective. And and it hits me because I tell you what, reading through this, I can take Paul saying that church is dumb and that that the pastor is a big fat liar and your faith is worthless. But you want to know where this gets me? You want to know where this really hits me is in what he says in verse 19. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. He's talking about you. You who believe this. He's talking about me. He's talking about us who believe that Christ actually rose from the dead. And what he's saying is you of all people are most to be pitied if Christ is dead. This gets to me because it, it takes me to my grandfather's funeral where I look and I see a Christian of 83 years, husband, Christian husband to a Christian wife for 51 years, father to five Christian children, grandfather to 27 Christian grandchildren, great-grandfather to now five great-great-grandchildren that are baptized, dearly beloved children of God. And I look at all of this and Paul says, I pity you all. You're all lost. It's worthless. That gets to me. Paul is taking the highest hope, the hope of heaven. He says it's gone. It's not there. Do you know that Christians have the highest hopes of anyone? That's true. Christians have the highest hopes of any and every religion. See, you thought, you thought that Christianity believes that there's just life after death. That, that's not Christianity. You see, every, every religion, every world philosophy believes there's, there's, something, there's, there's something after death. That's not what Christianity preaches. That's not what Christianity teaches. That's not what God's word says. No, God's word says that there is life after death and there is life after death and there is more life and more life and more life for those who believe. Christians have the highest hope. What I'm talking about is this, and it's important you catch this, that Christ Jesus, crucified for your sins, buried in a tomb, risen after three days, ascended into heaven is the reason that you don't just have life in heaven, you have life here and now, a bodily resurrection. You have life and life in abundance because he has freed you from sin. He has freed you from spiritual deadness and awoken you, giving you a rebirth into his life, life in Christ. That is what you have. That is life after death. And what is more, Christ Jesus says this about himself in John chapter 11. He says, I, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you catch this? He is talking about life after death and then life after death. 
in heaven with him forever because that is who he is. He is the resurrection and the life. And that is what he gives to you. Christians, they have the highest hopes. They have the surest hopes. (laughs) Every religion gives conditioned hopes. If you pray, if you give, if you are morally good, if you follow these two steps or six steps or 12 steps, you will have a better life, more happiness, more health, more wealth, a stronger marriage, if, 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 if. But what does Christianity say? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, no matter where you're at, Christ love is for you. The warm, opened embrace of Jesus Christ, crucified, died, and risen for you is his because you are saved by grace. You are saved by full, free, unconditioned love. That is hope. Christians have the highest hopes. Christians have the surest hopes. And because of that, we have the farthest to fall. Because of that, we have the most to lose if Christ is dead. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says here. You should know this about this group of verses. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. This section here is often called the Achilles heel to Christianity. It's, it's the idea that Paul puts out the resurrection didn't happen. And if it didn't, the faith, it's pointless. It's, it's the idea that if you just pull at this thread a little bit, the scenes of Christianity come apart. It's Christianity's Achilles heel. What Paul does is he points to the Jenga block, this one right here, Christ's resurrection. And if you take it out, the tower falls down. People say, if you want to deconvert a billion Christians or more worldwide, all you have to do is show them Christ's body, show them that Christ is dead. What you have here in these verses is is Christianity's Achilles heel. Uh, People say that, and I think they're right. I think they have the wrong metaphor, though. What you have here in this Corinthian congregation is, is cynics and skeptics. You, you read it earlier. You had people coming to church saying to one another, you will not rise from the dead. Read the rest of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. I want to encourage you to do it. You, you, you won't regret it. And see that there are cynics and skeptics coming to people and saying, you will not rise from the dead. But do you know what they never, ever, ever said? These people, these people never, never said the opposite of that. Oh, they said you will not rise from the dead, but they never said Christ didn't rise from the dead. You want to know why? You want to know why that is? It's because these witnesses, these, these cynics and skeptics, they had access to hundreds of witnesses, people who saw Jesus die, people who saw him alive again. So they could say, you will not rise from the dead, but they couldn't do it. There was no denying it. 
that Christ rose from the dead. Can I geek out on you a little bit here? Can I get all grammarly? You want to know what Paul is doing here? What Paul is doing is offering an argument, a, a, a speech figure called a contrary to fact conditional statement. What that means is that everything he's putting out is contrary to the main point. You know what that main point is? <laughs> it's that Christ rose. It's that Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. That's Paul's point. That's what he's saying here. <laughs> that Christianity has not the Christ, Christ's resurrection as its Achilles heel, but it has the resurrection of Christ as its base, as its foundation, as its confidence, as its assurance in the midst of the storm. That's what you have. You live in a home built on hope. Over the past couple weeks here at The Way, we've been in a, in a series called Homecoming, where we have been exploring the blessings and the benefits of Christian people getting to be in a faith family, getting to have a home, <laughs> a, a place where they can go and know the love of Christ and grow in the love of Christ. What we've talked about in this series is that the Holy Spirit is not lazy with his words. <laughs> He didn't call God our father and us brothers and sisters in Christ for no reason. No, he wanted us to think of one another as a family. He wanted us to treat one another as a family ought to treat one another with love, with the love of Christ. And, and what we looked at in God's word throughout this series is you have that home. You have that home here with other Christian people. We have a God. Who is, who is growing us more and more in our faith and uniting us more and more in that bond of faith. And what you have is a world, a world that is full of evil, the sin, death, and the devil. And it wants nothing more than to break this church down and break this family apart. But here in this place, you have something that not even the gates of hell can overcome. You have a place for you safe from all of that. Can I let you know what, what I just, I pray that if you leave here with just one thing today, you walk away with? It's a conviction that, that the house, the home that you have, that you have here, is built on hope. It is built on the hope of Jesus Christ and the hope of his resurrection. It is not just that we're here together because we like each other, although we do. It's not just that we're here together because this is kind of fun to do. It's not that we're just here together because eh, we share a common understanding. No, we are here together because what binds us, what unites us is the fact that we are standing on a hope, a hope that is Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something about the Christian hope? Christian hope is not optimism. It's quite different. In fact, hope, Christian hope is greater than optimism. And the reason for that is this, optimism has its basis. It, it has its roots in human potential. Optimism and its opposite. Pessimism is based in human potential or the lack thereof. That's pessimism. But Christian hope is based in Christ's power, his power over all things, including death. And that's why, 
That's why the hope that you have is not a hope that takes you out of this world intoxicated with fantasies of heaven, nor does it make you lazily indifferent about the things in this life. But what the Christian hope does is it plants you firmly in the midst of this life so that you can weather whatever storms come, so that you can stand on Christ and the foundation that he gives you, come what may. Because here's the thing, the last chapter of your life, it opens, it opens with your eyes opening to life everlasting with the eternal lamb who was slain, who sits on the throne above. That's the implication of Christ's resurrection from death to life for you. That's the house that you live in. That's the home that you have. It is one built on hope. Any Game of Thrones fans here? Game of Thrones, wildly popular series. One of the things that's fascinating about the series is its theme of personifying death, specifically personifying death in the concrete character of the Night King. The Night King is the blue-eyed thing that's in the center. As the series go on, the Night King, a dead thing, raises an army of dead things to go out and fight a war, a battle against all the human race. And at the end of the series, It's hopeless. It's hopeless because the Night King is there and human beings, they got nothing. There's another significant story that takes place throughout throughout the series. It's the story of Arya Stark, the the third child, maybe maybe the black sheep of the Stark family who, who grows up, leaves home, and receives training training to be an elite fighter and killer. She trains from a man, uh, this man right here, whose name is Sirio Forel. And when he teaches her the art of taking life, he, he also teaches her something, a mindset at which to look at death. Repeatedly, he says to her the line, there is only one thing we say to death, not today. So it is at the end of the series, at the pinnacle moment of this story that we watch, there is a hopeless situation. There is nothing left that can be done from the dead and death taking over all of life and the living. And we see just one person, little Aria, and a voice, Sirio's voice, speak to her in her mind and say, what do we say to death? Not today. And she grabs the dagger of Valerian steel and she puts it through the Night King and fans all cheer. And once what was hopeless now has a hero and there is life. There is life for all the human race. (laughs) Sorry if there's any spoiler alerts there, but you had many months to watch that. I find it fascinating, the, the story of personifying death, because I, I think in that echoes a biblical reality that just isn't, isn't our reality often. So often, people live in this world knowing so little about death, almost as little as we know about life. 
and knowing little about death, so little about death, it doesn't work for us. Because maybe, perhaps, if we knew something about death, well, maybe our lives would, would have more purpose, even, even more purpose than they, they already do. Maybe the, 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 the seemingly minute and small things that we do in life wouldn't cause us busyness and stress, but they would take on meaning and be filled with joy and purpose. Maybe our jobs, our J-O-Bs, would stop being just that and become our vocations and our calling. Maybe our 15, 15 minutes of fame wouldn't leave us so empty if, if we knew, if we knew what to say to death. But so many don't. So many people don't know what to say to death or to think about death. And so death laughs. It scoffs at them and takes their life even before they're dead. But not you. <laughs> but not Christians. Not people who have hope in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Paul's letter ends this way. He says this. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the answer to our big question today. What do we say to death? Christians say not today to death. Why? Because Jesus Christ gave us the victory over death. There was a game of thrones between death and Jesus Christ and he crushed death and sits on the throne above. And now we never have to bow our knee to death but can stand victorious, stand victorious in the life we have in Christ. A life not for someday, but a life here for now. That's the hope that you have. That's what Christians say to death, not today. I had no idea what I was going to say to my grandmother as I walked up a driveway that was covered in now ice with snow piles piling up on the outside. I was speechless as I walked to a familiar front door of my grandparents' home and knocked on it. My grandma opened the door and we embraced. We move over to her couch and we sit down. I'll never forget looking in her eyes, eyes that had been so filled with tears and yet were so clear, so focused because they were so filled with hope. You wanna know what I said to my grandma? I opened my mouth to say some words to my grandmother. You wanna know what I said? Nothing, not a word. I opened my mouth to say something to her and my grandma cut me off. She smiled at me and she said, well, Ron, that's my grandfather. With a smile, she said, Ron is at home with Jesus in heaven. What do we say to death? Not today, not any day, because we have a God who is a God, not of the dead, but a God of the living. And to him, all are alive. 
My friends, you have a home, and that home is built on hope. Welcome home. Amen.